We turn in God's inspired word this morning to Luke chapter 12, where we begin reading at verse 13. Luke 12, beginning at verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven. How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so far we read God's inspired word this morning. Continuing in our consideration of the Lord's Prayer, we are up to the second petition. 
And we turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism's exposition of that second petition of the Lord's Prayer. That's Lord's Day 48, question and answer 125. Which is the second petition? Thy kingdom come. That is, rule us so by thy word and spirit, that we may submit ourselves more and more to thee. Preserve and increase thy church. Destroy the works of the devil and all violence which would exalt itself against thee, and also all wicked counsels devised against thy holy word, till the full perfection of thy kingdom take place, wherein thou shalt be all in all. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, this second petition of the Lord's Prayer is most brief. It is also probably the most misunderstood and misused petition of prayer. Certainly the disciples of Jesus did not understand this petition. They were looking for an earthly kingdom looking for the Messiah to reign from David's earthly throne in Jerusalem. But although the disciples at that time had a mistaken notion of God's kingdom, they received the light of the truth after Jesus' resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Many in our day have not yet received that spiritual understanding and continue to look for an earthly kingdom, a kingdom of their own imagination, kingdom which is not the kingdom of God and of his Christ. And so, again, we call to mind the importance of examining ourselves as we stand before this Second petition of the Lord's Prayer. Not only must we understand the content of this prayer, the meaning of the address, and of each petition of the Lord's Prayer, but we must discover in the mirror of this model prayer that Jesus gave us how true is our expression of gratitude to God. Prayer, you recall, is the highest expression of the Christian's thankfulness to the God of our salvation. And it is that because prayer is the acknowledgement that God is God. And that he's the fountain of all good as our Father in heaven. It's in that in that confession that the petitions of this prayer all stand together. They're connected. We address God as our Father who is in heaven. And upon that address, our first petition must be, Hallowed be thy name. 
the foremost object of all our prayers and thoughts and activities must be that God be glorified. And that means, first of all, that we desire to see His name sanctified in all His works and ways, and secondly, that we receive abundant grace to cut out all that does not honor Him. And that his name may be honored and praised by us and on our account. The first petition, therefore, concerns God's glory itself. The second and third petition have to do with the means whereby his glory is to be manifested and magnified. God's name is manifestly glorified in the coming of his kingdom and in his will being done. Thy kingdom come. Time and again, we take that petition upon our lips, don't we? Do we know for what we are praying? Do we have the spiritual attitude necessary to make this petition our own? I call your attention to the petition for the coming of God's kingdom. We notice the object of this petition, secondly, the time frame of this petition, and finally, the spiritual nature of this petition. Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come. What is the kingdom to which he directs our prayerful attention? That's an important question. We have to understand what that kingdom is. Because there are many in our day who talk about the coming of the kingdom of God, but they have in mind something material, intellectual, social. As working conditions are improved, poverty and social ills are diminished, the slums cleared away, the homeless camps cleared up, the comforts of life are enjoyed by all, The causes of suffering are removed. And and people find peace and well-being along with prosperity. That's what many are looking for when they talk about the kingdom. They liken the kingdom to a new world order. And that's true even in the church. And so we find in the church the error of post-millennialism where there's the belief that the kingdom of God is realized by the efforts of Christian men and women. Their philosophies can sound appealing because they talk about the kingdom of God. And they talk about doing God's service. But they have in mind a different kingdom than the one for which we are called to pray. And the disastrous consequence of that is to be pursuing the kingdom of Antichrist, which indeed from many perspectives will be a veritable utopia on this earth for a brief time. A world power even under the guise of a false Christianity. We mustn't consider the kingdom of God from 
as an earthly kingdom or the benefits of, of that kingdom as material and social benefits. That's exactly what Jesus warned us against in the passage we read this morning. Seek not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so the Apostle Paul, in Romans 14, verse 17, says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And therefore, lest we pray in ignorance for the kingdom of man, we have to know what is meant by the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is that spiritual realm that God realizes in the midst of this world through the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ. That kingdom is frequently mentioned in Scripture, and especially in the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God and its coming. He speaks of the citizens of that kingdom and their characteristics. He teaches us how that kingdom has a spiritual constitution and, a, and spiritual treasures. And many of the parables that Jesus spoke also serve to illustrate for us that kingdom of God. Ultimately, that kingdom, that spiritual kingdom, extends beyond this earth. That's one of the reasons it's also called the kingdom of heaven. Ultimately, it's the final realization of God's counsel with respect to all things. When God created this first state of things, he did so with the purpose in mind to lead us to a higher state. And again, we mustn't be like the unspiritual Jews who looked for nothing more than an earthly promised land. We mustn't draw in our minds all kinds of earthly pictures about the kingdom of God and, and then deceive ourselves into thinking that we're now ready to pray thy kingdom come. This kingdom is the kingdom of him whose name is God, whose name is holy. Are we ready then to pray for the coming of that kingdom? To pray this petition means you realize that we are willing to let our kingdom disappear and that we are ready, if need be, to give up all the things of this earth. Only as we desire to have Jehovah be God and do as he wills, will we pray for the coming of his kingdom. About this kingdom of God, we should say the following. Number one, God rules. God rules this kingdom. Number two, God rules through Christ. Number three, God rules through Christ in and through his people, the spiritual citizens of his kingdom. 
And then finally, the character of this kingdom is heavenly throughout. So let's look at those characteristics of God's kingdom. In the first place, God rules this kingdom. And so David proclaims already in the Old Testament, in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. It's God's kingdom. It's God's kingdom for several reasons. First of all, God is the one who sovereignly determined that kingdom in his eternal counsel. He determined that kingdom to be the purpose, the end of all history. And secondly, he designed and rules over that kingdom of heavenly characteristics, righteousness and holiness and truth. It's God's kingdom because he's the founder of it. He sovereignly established it as the one who preserves it against all the attacks of the devil and his hosts and wicked men. In the third place, it's God's kingdom because he's Lord over it. Do you live in the recognition of that? He is Lord in his kingdom. He has the right to tell us how to live in his kingdom. His will is perfect. His rule is the only rule for that kingdom and its citizens. That kingdom belongs to God and his rule finally because he alone will receive all glory and honor and praise in that kingdom. God's rule in this kingdom is the spiritual rule of grace. That God rules over all by his power is not questioned by us. There's nothing that escapes the rule of God. And that truth ought to strike terror into the hearts of the ungodly. Because we read, for example, in Proverbs 21 verse 1, The heart of the kings is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turns them whithersoever he will. The prophet Jeremiah stands in awe at the power of God's rule. We read in Jeremiah chapter 10, Who would not fear thee, O king of nations? The Lord is the true God. He's the living God and an everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble and the nation shall not be able to abide his indignation. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. God is the all-powerful ruler of the whole creation and of every creature. But that rule of power does not characterize this kingdom of God. The idea of the kingdom of God 
is not that God rules by his power, but that in all the creation he is acknowledged as the good and perfect being, the God whose name is to be hallowed and praised forever. The kingdom of God is the kingdom in which God rules by his grace. And it's, that's evident from the truth that this spiritual kingdom of God is entered only by regeneration, by being born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, verse 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And in verse 5, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, we pray that God may be acknowledged and served by us consciously and willingly from the principle of thankfulness and love for his rule of grace. God rules his kingdom. The second place, God rules his kingdom in and through Jesus Christ. Christ is Lord in this kingdom. As we read in Psalm 2 and many other passages, it was according to God's decree that Christ stands as king under God, the blessed mediator between God and men, and Christ is the focal point of the kingdom around whom all revolves. Do you live in that knowledge? Being subject to him? who is Lord in this kingdom, Lord of your life as well. This kingdom was built upon the foundation of his blood. He's the one who crushed the head of the serpent, destroying utterly his kingdom, Satan's kingdom, meriting the righteousness which alone could satisfy God. Through the Spirit of Christ, God makes himself known to all the subjects of his kingdom. He makes known that Satan only usurped the power that truly belongs to God. God's kingdom is the only kingdom. Christ is the one who rules from eternity. And for this reason, the kingdom of God does not extend any farther than the spiritual rule of Christ. And in this kingdom, he will forever be Lord. He's received the reward of his labor. When Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he was given the full authority to rule over the kingdom in the name of God, and there he shall forever reign. The connecting link between the king of God and the subjects of his kingdom, the people of his good pleasure. In the third place, this kingdom is the kingdom in which the people of God 
shall also reign over all the creation. Because Christ doesn't reign merely as an individual, but as the head of the body, the church. He shall reign as Christ, and we, his people, shall reign with him over all the works of his hands to the glory of God the Father, as we read in Revelation 5, verse 10. And finally, because the kingdom of God is spiritual, that kingdom will also be universal and heavenly. The kingdom of God is not something external. It doesn't refer to anything in the area of politics or business or science or culture. That kingdom of God is the sum total of all spiritual powers and blessings, which in Scripture are expressed in one word, righteousness. When God rules through Christ by his grace, in the heart, there you have the kingdom of God. He doesn't rule by grace in the world's politics or business or culture. His grace is particular and spiritual and through Christ. And that kingdom of God where all the citizens of his kingdom are established in righteousness will finally be universal in scope and heavenly. As for our second main point this morning, we notice that the time frame of this petition concerns the future. The term kingdom of God and the reference to the coming of that kingdom is a future conception. It's true that in a certain sense of the word, the kingdom is manifested here on this earth. And that's because of the fact that by grace, Christ establishes the kingdom of God in the hearts of his people while they're still upon earth. The citizens of the kingdom of God are all those who are redeemed in the blood of Jesus Christ. While those citizens live in this world, they're called citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You and I are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Christ, as it were, makes his throne in the hearts of his people, rules with his sovereign scepter over and in their lives, makes them by his grace loyal citizens of his kingdom, even while still dwelling on this earth. When that's your own knowledge and your own personal experience, you realize too that He gives to his people the treasures of that kingdom, even now. We are partakers of the treasures of his kingdom. And he gives us to seek that kingdom and its righteousness. You do, don't you? If you're looking for that kingdom of heaven as manifested on this earth, then you look for those who are its citizens. And they're not in any one country. They're not all white and of European descent. 
You have to rather seek those who walk according to the spiritual precepts of the Word of God in recognition of the spiritual constitution of that kingdom of God. We are constitutionalists. Let's understand that. We are not lawless. We are not those who make up our own rules. We are those who are subject to the Word of God, the constitution of God's kingdom. Further, in your search for the kingdom of God, as it's manifested on this earth, you will find the church of God where the gospel is preached. All that belongs to the pure preaching of the gospel belongs to the manifestation of the kingdom of God. It's the gospel of the truth of God's word that identifies this kingdom for you. Also identifying this kingdom are the holy administration of the sacraments, as well as the gates which are guarded by the office bearers who possess the keys of the kingdom. But even so, when we pray thy kingdom come, we're speaking of a future reference. We're speaking of the kingdom as it's still in the future, and that's why Jesus teaches us to pray this petition, Thy kingdom come. You see, the present state of the citizens of the kingdom is only a faint picture, a faint picture of the future life of God's people in that kingdom. Scripture teaches in such a passage as 2 Peter chapter 3, that when the kingdom of God shall be completed, it will replace the present state of things. The present state of things shall be destroyed. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise, and the element shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Then verse 13, nevertheless we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. You realize that the kingdom of God in this present world is constantly under attack. And we have experienced that. The attacks of the evil one. And that's why in teaching us this petition, we are taught to pray by this petition, preserve and increase thy church. Destroy the works of the devil. And all violence which would exalt itself against thee, and also all wicked counsels devised against thy holy word. 
when we stand in the midst of these trials, knowing God rules His kingdom, then we also understand the life of the future kingdom will be so glorious, it's beyond our human comprehension. The glorious life pictured in Revelation 21 and 22 shall be found there and shall belong to all the citizens of the kingdom. The realization of that kingdom shall be seen in that state of things where God is all in all, in the new heavens and the new earth, in which he will have dominion over all things through Jesus Christ, the head of the church. That kingdom is coming. God brings it. It doesn't doesn't come because we cause it to come. Not even because we pray for it to come. That kingdom is coming. Even now, as it has been coming throughout all history, according to the counsel and good pleasure of our Father in heaven, all that God does and ever has done in this world is related with the coming of his kingdom. That was true of the creation. God created with a view to the coming of his kingdom. It was in fact a picture of the kingdom of God as God reigned over all things through Adam. In the heart of Adam, God established his kingdom. But that earthly kingdom was to make way for the heaven established in the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And that kingdom in paradise was an earthly kingdom. Its fall was the coming of the kingdom of heaven. The entire history of this world is is the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And we have to be aware of that when we hear the news. And when we stand before all the the terrible things that we observe in the world today, Christ is coming. God is bringing about the coming of his kingdom. That kingdom was established in the hearts of his people in the Old Testament. It was established when Christ came and laid the foundations of that kingdom with his own precious blood. And having laid the foundation, he's now exalted at God's right hand, ruling over all things in the name of God. Furthermore, God realizes that kingdom in the hearts of his people by the Spirit of Christ and through the Word the living Christ pours out his spirit into the hearts of his elect children living and ruling in them. He calls them efficaciously through the preaching of the gospel so that they enter the kingdom as willing subjects of his gracious reign. He he gives his people the assurance of the victory that he's obtained for them and the desire to live as kingdom citizens. 
so that we know that whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Even though on earth we live as citizens of heaven, whose home and walk is with God. Now, if we understand the truth of the kingdom and the time frame of this petition, we surely understand that this petition, as well as the first petition, is intensely spiritual. That the kingdom is realized in the hearts of yet imperfect people, and that it's still coming, explains the spiritual nature of this petition. In Luke 12, verse 31, we read the spiritual disposition required in order to pray this petition. After telling his disciples, take no thought for your life what she shall eat, neither for the body what she shall put on, Jesus said, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And our response might be, I believe, but really. How impractical is that? We have to eat. We have to stay warm. And before you know it, we forget completely this instruction and we're lunging for the things which moth and rust doth corrupt. And we're asking, what shall we eat? What shall we wear today and tomorrow? And when it comes time to pray, these words of Jesus ring in our ears and we pray, Thy kingdom come. Do we mean it? Do we really mean it? You see, the very coming of God's kingdom means that all these things perish. How then can we pray this petition while clinging to the things of this earth? Putting them first in our life. And yet Jesus teaches us to pray this petition. And he does so realizing that his kingdom is not yet complete. There's still much imperfection. It's imperfect because of the earthly state of things. It's imperfect because there's so much in us and around us that is not of the kingdom of heaven. There's all kinds of sin, all kinds of imperfection. Therefore, called by Christ, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we pray. In the midst of all our sin and imperfection, we pray. Thy kingdom come. This spiritual petition states a twofold request. In the first place, it means that we personally pray. Rule us so by thy word and spirit that we may submit ourselves more and more to thee. 
in that sense. The prayer for the coming of God's kingdom is a prayer for perfection. It's the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we express our desire to be conformed to the will of God with all our being. That implies that we know that there's much in our lives that's contrary to the will of God. And that we're troubled by it. If we are not troubled by our own sin, we can't pray this prayer. Christ came not to save the self-righteous, but sinners. When you and I take this confession upon our lips, we, we confess our knowledge that this prayer must be realized by God. There's no free will in this petition. Thy kingdom come. God must bring about the coming of that kingdom by His grace. But by the same token, it's impossible to pray this unless we're walking in sanctification. We walk unrepentant, unconverted, in our sin. We express by our lives, we don't mean to do God's will. We mean to do our own will. We want our own kingdom, where our own desires can, can have first place and be satisfied. This prayer is, let thy throne be established in our hearts. Let thy laws be administered in our lives. Let thy name be magnified by our walk. Is that your prayer? In the second place, this spiritual petition states the request that God preserve and gather his church unto perfection. And how necessary is that prayer? And especially in these last days, when Satan appears to have been loosed, deceiving many. All God's chosen people, the elect yet to be born and gathered into the church must be regenerated and called before the kingdom is complete. Every single stone must be fitted into that temple. The new Jerusalem, the capital city of, of that kingdom of heaven. And therefore, when we pray, thy kingdom come, we petition God, let the gospel be preached. 
and the power of thy spirit go with it. Let thy cause in the church on this earth be advanced. Gather thy people. Let the works of Satan be destroyed. Let the day be hastened when Satan and his hosts are completely wiped out. And thy people shall sin no more, and thy name shall be all in all. And included in that spiritual petition is the passing away of all things. The gathering of the church involves also the passing away of all things. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, we're praying for the passing away of this, all things, even this earthly tabernacle, the body of this flesh. Can we pray this petition? You understand now that this petition is intensely spiritual. It requires an exclusively spiritual attitude. You understand that when God answers this prayer and grants us the coming of his kingdom, it may very well cause immediate damage to our own kingdom and our own desires and name. You remember the signs of the coming of his kingdom? Most of them are not pleasant. Preaching of the gospel is a chief sign. But what follows is pretty terrible. You read about them in Matthew 24 and, and other passages, including the book of Revelation. Are you ready to ask God to increase those signs? when the result might mean that you personally experience wars and famine and pestilence and nakedness and peril and sword, should that be the way for his kingdom to come? You see, some of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world are already experiencing those things. Remember them in your prayers. And if that kingdom is to come for us personally in the way of affliction and death, we ready to pray this? You see, it's one thing, isn't it, to mechanically repeat the Lord's Prayer. Quite another to pray it from the heart with the mind. Do we want that which we request in this petition? Or do we fear that maybe the Lord will hear and answer this prayer? Isn't it true, beloved, 
if we always realized what it means to pray. Our whole life would be different, wouldn't it? By nature, it's by nature we don't want this petition. In fact, by nature, it's much easier to criticize God's way with us. Call Him into question. To think that He doesn't have wisdom. Much easier to enter every calamity and trial and distress in our lives with running to God and asking Him to remove it. Shall we pray that wars never come? That Antichrist never appears? That the world may continue to go on with, with all its sin and under its curse? No, we don't want that, do we? Rather than, rather than succumbing to our sinful flesh, our new man in Christ cries out, Thy kingdom come. There is in us a small beginning of the new obedience. But therefore we pray, As those who belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray in thankfulness, Thy kingdom come. There's a longing to see that coming of God's kingdom and the perfection that awaits us in Jesus Christ. And in His name we pray, Thy kingdom come. Amen. Heavenly Father, once again, we plead with Thee that Thou wilt teach us to pray. Grant that in our prayers, we submit ourselves more and more to Thee and pray in the knowledge of faith. Laying hold of our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, and rejoicing that Thou art our Father for Jesus' sake. Amen.